Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Ian McDowell, founder of Tough Talk. Ian McDowell, welcome to Facing the Canon. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm delighted. And you've got your <laughs> lovely sweatshirt. I've got the Tough Talk sweatshirt on, my friend. Well, we're going to talk about Tough Talk in a minute. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Well, I, I uh, was born in East London. I grew up in an area called Forest Gate, and, um, and then we moved to a, a little way out to Ilford. So it was all sort of East London as a young man, obviously a, a West Ham supporter. I better get that in early. A serious West Ham supporter. <laughs> now, at school, I gather, Ian, you were a bit of a bully. You gather that. I'm ashamed to say there's, there's a lot of my past I'm ashamed of. And yeah, as a school, um, do you know, I come from a bit of a dysfunctional family, really. So I, I think I took it out in school. And uh, yes. uh, and back in the early 70s, I think you got away with it a lot easier back in those days. And uh, so I, I did experience the cane and all sorts of stuff. And uh, the, the ruler over the hand, the best of six and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, a bit of a bully, I'm ashamed to say. So, Ian, when you say dysfunctional family, tell us a bit more about your family. Well, I, I'm one of seven and we've all got different dads, pretty much. So that gives you an idea. Um, sure. Uh, um, but mum, bless her, you know, um, she did her best, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, we it was a bit of a wild family. Um, the family next that you didn't want to live next door to, you know, um, and so it was always getting in trouble and causing a lot of problems. When you put a lot of boys together, it's just inevitable anyway, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> so like you said, it's almost like because of the home environment, uh, this it's like a pressure cooker builds up and then you go to school and it it kind of explodes, doesn't it? It does. And, and I, I was probably a little bit... Um, wild as well um looking back and i was so I, I got expelled a couple of times and got in trouble and um uh, yeah you know I, I didn't mean to it's just probably part of my personality um but then i just it just carried on like that through life but then one christmas you got some interesting christmas presents didn't you get uh, some flippers and oh, tell us about that yeah, i don't normally share that actually yeah no well you're right my fam my my mum um started to they, a veterinary surgeon and they decided to move us to Jamaica and so we all ended up I was about 12 or 13 we ended up um, going off to the Caribbean which was um, I think actually it was something that changed my life looking back at it because my experience in Jamaica made me just sit there and think I, I want to do stuff like this all my life I want to travel I want to be different I, I, I want to uh, I don't want to just be a postman and and not that I've got anything against postmen, but I don't want that kind. I want a, a wild life. I want to be traveling the world and doing different stuff. So, um, yeah, that's why I started bodybuilding, funny enough. I know, but while you're in Jamaica, you didn't go to school, which you should have done. You're absolutely right, yeah. What, no. You just went around with your machete cutting down <laughs> yeah. bush. So you were left alone. Because I was in the middle of this big family, the younger kids kind of went to school, and there was always this... Oh, yeah, we'll get in in school, we'll get in school. But for that year, I never went to school, you're right. I just had a wild time. I got up to all sorts of things that a 13-year-old shouldn't really be getting up to. And uh, I was out at nights, and uh, Jamaica, where I was at, I had like, a tourist part of the area as well, so I was out with the tourists. And, uh, so I, grew, I, I, I did more than what most 13-year-old boys were doing at that Absolutely. age. Absolutely. But, and then going back to England, trying to integrate back into yeah, the yeah. school, that was difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that increased my, my troublesome life, yes. I think. Um, I, I didn't settle very well back at no. school, no. And then did, did you drop out of school when you were around 15? 
I fin- I didn't. I left school without any education. Um, I dropped out before. Uh, in that last year, I think we used to call it fifth year, didn't we, in those days? That's right. um, and, and I didn't survive the fifth year of school. I left, started working, at, helping a mate do a milk round and just uh, pay, you know, a couple of paper rounds, and then I got a, a also, job in a gym. That's but a, wasn't that's it debt collecting as well? I got involved in some debt so, collecting. So you, you're only a teenager. I'm a teenager, and, I was and debt you're collecting. going around debt collecting. Well, what happened was I started the bodybuilding. I'd been doing boxing. I used boxing down at Dagnan Boys Club, and then I, I got into the bodybuilding, and I was getting heavier and bigger. And then I was offered some some debt collecting very early on. And I was debt collecting as a young man. Yeah. So tell us what triggered off you wanting to do bodybuilding. As I just said it, I think it was that um, desire to do something different. And I I went into this bodybuilding gym in East London, Forest Gate, and. Um, I saw these characters like Arnold Schwarzenegger and I thought, wow, you know, they've, they've made something special of their lives. Maybe I could follow in that kind of, and, and I went to the bodybuilding competitions and I've got to be honest with you, at first I couldn't get it. You know, the guys were standing there with their little pair of swimming trunks on, putting baby oil on their body, showing off their physique and stuff. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I get this, but after being around them for a while, the banter, the atmosphere of the gym, I just really bought into the bodybuilding stuff and I started to really enjoy it. I was competing as a bodybuilder at 16, 17 in the junior competitions. Yeah, you took it, I mean, really seriously. Oh, yeah, 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 I really did. Um, I think I'm a bit like, like that in life though. I, I, I think if I get something I, I want to do, I, I kind of go for it. And um, I, I'm, I remember thinking I'm prepared to die for this, to achieve this. Yes which is a strange thought as a young yeah, man. Absolutely. That's what I was ready to do. But then you started taking steroids. Mm. What made you take steroids? What was the motive behind that? I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest with you. I, there was a sense of, uh, that I, I didn't want to cheat and I didn't want to take steroids. But then mixing in that world at that time, um, I realised that all these guys that were competing were using the steroids. Um, bodybuilding was saturated with the drug and... Um, uh, uh, and so I thought, well, if, if I'm going to achieve what I want to achieve, I, I'm going to have to take these anabolic steroids. And again, once I'm crossing that line, I'm thinking to myself, well, if I'm going to do this, I was just going to do it. And I, I'm ashamed to say, cheated in my sport, abused the drug for about eight years. But it was a four year period where I used a lot, a lot of steroids. But you started taking steroids um, that should have been given to horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're yeah. right. Well, I tell you, I was living in Forest Gate in, in, in his bed sit above a row of shops. And again, one of them was a veterinary surgeon. And um, I used to break into this veterinary surgery because I heard that animal steroids are just as effective as human steroids. They just can cause you maybe more problems. It could be a bit more dangerous. But um, I thought, well, you know what? I'm a bit skint. And I started taking these animal steroids. And um, yeah, I was injecting, I mean, I remember reading one mil a week for a horse. Yes. And I'm using two or three, up to five mils a day on myself. Um, but weren't there side effects to yeah, that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what were the side effects of taking so many steroids daily? I, I started developing, uh, my, my blood pressure went up. I developed something called gynecomastia. So I got these lumps that, uh, 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 on, on my chest, um, I uh, and is that an, uh, an accumulation of fat? That's it, yeah, yeah. And, and it was it was pretty bad. I had to have it surgically removed, um, and uh, uh, I became very angry as well. It was another side effect. Um, I, I started to urinate blood. Um, uh, you know, I was 
damaging kidneys and different things, getting pains in my back, pains in my side. But Ian, did that not frighten you? Did that not concern you? Are you thinking, goodness, there's a link between me taking steroids and these side effects? The thing about it is, um, I, when I say I was prepared to die, I was prepared to die to win. I thought if, if I go out winning and being, being the best, and, and it's a crazy young man's mentality, isn't it? You know, you, you think you're immortal anyway, don't you? You don't really think you're going to die, but you think, I'm prepared to take this, um, even if there are, I, I, there's some consequences involved. And, uh, and that's what I was doing. And uh, I think one of the worst side effects for me was my, my anger. I became really angry, um, which is, uh, you know, you're playing around with your hormones, aren't you? And I became this angry, aggressive young man. And, and combined with bodybuilding, you also became a bouncer, that's right. Various clubs. I did. So that it's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm just, the two. You're it together. Yeah. So go on. Tell us about the bounce, being a bouncer. Well, I'm sitting in the gym one day. It was Christmas Eve, and this fella said to me, "Hey, do you want to work with me on the door tonight?" And I remember looking at him, and, and he was a scary fella. He was. Uh, he had scars on his face, bald head. He was a dangerous individual. And I'm, I remember thinking to myself, "Not if I end up looking like you." You know what I mean? I, I don't want a face like that, but he said, I'll give you double bubbles and come to work with me, double the money. And I remember thinking, yeah, well, I'll do some of that. So I went, I went to work with him and, um, uh, I mean, he introduced me to my colleagues. There was Dave the Bus, one-eyed Mark, and I, I worked with crazy characters for the next eight years of my life on the doors and the pubs and the clubs. And uh, you're, you're, you're right, it, it was back in a... See, I'm going back uh, in, in the uh, 80s and 90s. So in the 2000s, the licensing laws changed and, and doormen and they became called door supervisors all had to get licensed and registered. But back in those days, there were villains and gangsters running the clubs. They weren't regulated. They weren't, there was, you know, there were dangerous individuals. And I got involved in that kind of atmosphere. And you combine that with the steroids and a lot of violence, and it changes a person. It does, yeah. Um, one person um, got a knife out at you, and you, you, hit, you reciprocated with a baseball bat. There's been many, st- <laughs> <laughs> there's been many stories and situations. And again, I'm, I'm not proud of a lot of the things that we did back in those days. It, it, you know, even looking back at some of that stuff, it's it's painful to even think about it. You know, it, it's been a long time, and sometimes you 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 forget it was actually you that even lived that life but um i i hurt and upset people um got myself in a lot of trouble found myself getting arrested um ended up in hospital some nights and and there was a lot of pain and and anguish you and you you lose something inside you lose your soul really i lost the capacity to love i i felt you know once you start hurting people regularly it becomes a part of your life and um and you, 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 your conscience gets seared, you know, it gets hard. So we've got a different Ian sitting here now facing the cannon. What happened? Oh, thank God for that. Oh, <laughs> thank God for that. What happened, Ian? How did you encounter Jesus? And how well, I was never you... a Christian fella. I didn't grow up in a church, as I just said, and I had no desire for church. But I started having crazy dreams about God. They were like nightmares and God was coming out of the sky and it was like lightning and I was just waking up in a ball of sweat and, um, uh, and I couldn't get this out of my mind. And uh, I remember uh, being involved in a fight in a nightclub. Um, I got squirted with ammonia in my face and a friend of mine had a pickaxe handle smashed across his head. And this is quite a long story, but I'll 
try and make it as quick as I can. Sure. Um, he ended up in hospital. I ended up in hospital. He had operations on his head. This fella ended up going to church um, some months after. He had partial sight in his eye. He, had, he couldn't hear out of his ear. And he had a, a jaw that was dislodged. Um, you know, he, he couldn't bite properly. He was in total pain. And me and this guy were doing debt collecting together. We were working on the door together. He, he, there was all sorts of guns and different things involved back in those. He, he, this guy was a nasty fellow at the time. And um, uh, he went to this church called Kensington Temple in Notting Hill Gate. Yeah, I know it. Yes. Uh, you know it, yeah. And uh, he, he got prayed for and he got instantly healed. Um, and he's phoning him up, Ian, Ian, Jesus has healed me. Amazing. And I, well, Like his jaw got healed. His jaw got healed, his eyesight came back and his ear opened up. Amazing. And the, the, the doctors, the surgeons have said, you know, they probably were never going to hear and see properly again. And they weren't sure what they were going to do about his mouth. And he was in constant pain. And he got instantly healed. And um, there was an American preacher there, um, Charles uh, Slagle, I think his name was. He had like yeah. a, a prophetic ministry or something like that. But he, the, 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 he literally spoke over him, um, told him. I mean, and he's running around telling everyone, Jesus has healed me. Now, I didn't think there was a God. And I, I thought to myself, well, if there's a God, he doesn't heal people. But if he heals people, why would he heal someone like him? I mean, he's not the sort of person, if I was God, I would heal. You know, there's nice people out there. You know, why is he healing him? But he was running around saying one about Jesus has healed him. And, and I couldn't get all this out of my mind. I remember thinking about the dreams, thinking about him, thinking about God. And I'm driving home one night. I'm sitting in my car. I've got, I'm out on bail. I've got a prison sentence of seven years potentially hanging over my head. I've just been involved in another fight. I mean, I can't sleep at night. I'm sleeping with a carving knife under my pillow out of fear because when you live like that, you have a lot of fear, a lot of paranoia. There's a lot of anxiousness. You're really in I'm a lot of stress. And, um, and I just sat in the car and I thought to myself, God, if you're real, can you help someone like me? If you're there, could you sort me out? And suddenly I felt guilty for the fight I'd just been involved in. And I remember feeling overwhelmed with guilt and I said, Lord, if you're, if, if you're real, if, that is, if you're there, and you can, uh, for, forgive me for what I've just done. Forgive me for what I am. And I suddenly just broke down. I just remember feeling like I was being loved. I felt tears in my eyes. I remember thinking, wow, you know, God is real. I felt for a while like I'd been plugged into some electricity. It was like running through me. And um, I had this incredible miracle. I went home and I fell asleep. So I hadn't slept properly. I mean... They, it's mental health issues, they call it now. Back in those days, we used to say, you've got something wrong with your nut. You know, you've got yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Something's not right up there. But I felt this darkness lift from me. The fear lift from me. The paranoia lift from me. And I fell asleep like a baby for like 12 hours. I hadn't slept for weeks. I got up and I thought, wow, there really is a God. Um, but what do I do about that? I know. So you knew you had this encounter with God and uh, so what was the next stage step? <laughs> well, I, 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 start, I, mean, I spoke, spoke to my pal who got healed and he was going to a church in Canning Town and it actually was a strange church because they met in a school building and I didn't know churches had met in school buildings but we went down there and I started to go. I've got to be honest, at first I wasn't sure because they were happy at night, 10 o'clock in the morning waving flags and singing about Jesus and uh, I didn't really, I did, I'd never read a Bible before, I didn't know if this was a, a church or a cult, I didn't know what was going on. But um, 
I started to fall in love with Jesus. I started to go there. Um, I bought a Bible. I didn't know how to read the Bible. Where did you start with the Bible? Someone advised me to start reading the Gospels. As I started reading the Gospels, I just fell more and more in love with Jesus. I couldn't, I didn't feel totally like I, I was connecting with the Christians around me because I'm coming from a different world, I've got to be honest. But I could connect with Jesus Christ at that time. And, uh, and then he started to change me, which made me start to think different about the church. At first, I was a bit not sure about the music, but now I just fell in love with worshipping God. And, um, and love wants to give, doesn't it? I knew what Absolutely. lust was. Lust takes, love gives. And I just remember feeling, I've got to do something. And I started to help in their youth clubs. And then they started asking me to tell my story. And that's how things changed. And so the people around you, obviously your family, they saw this difference in you. Yeah, well, the strange thing is, is you, you expect people to be really happy for you. I remember running down and telling my mum, I said, Mum, I've become a Christian. And she was like, well, you know, don't give me any of that stuff. And, it, <laughs> and then she phoned up my brothers and said, keep away from me. And he's got religion. Yeah. So yeah. She'd been, she's got a background of witchcraft and all sorts of stuff. And so she wasn't accepting me as a Christian. She didn't, she didn't mind me running around with weapons and getting in trouble with the police, but now I'm a Christian. She didn't really want me in the house. And, uh, but by God's grace, I prayed for her. And uh, some months later, she actually came to faith herself. Oh. And what about your other siblings? How do they view you today? Some of them have come to faith. Um, yeah. One or two probably still think I'm a bit crazy. Um, but yeah, they can't deny the change in your life, can they? Um, you know, I had that... Uh, from being a, a troubled young man uh, to then uh, turning totally the other way, um, no longer breaking the law, no longer getting involved in that stuff, but now serving God. And at first the suspicion and all, everything else, but when they see the fruit of your life, um, I've been married now a number of years, got two children. So yeah, I'm a kind of a Christian, that's the fact. So Ian, to, for any viewer now that's, that's tuned in um, and they have a similar thought to the one that you had, you know, they're so bad, they've done bad things, how can God, you know, save them? What would you say to them? Well, the, you know, it doesn't, you don't even have to be as bad as me because the Bible says that everyone's fallen short of God's standards. You know, before a holy God, we've all made mistakes. And, uh, and if you actually are honest with yourself, if you was to stand before your maker, your creator, the judge of the universe, there's stuff that we've done that we're not proud of, things we've thought, things we've done. And I would say you can get right with Jesus Christ. You can, uh, you know, that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose again, that we may have eternal life. And uh, that's the good news. That's the new good news I love to share is that he's there to forgive. He's there to tra transform your life. And, uh, and you too can be born again. And uh, uh, Jesus Christ is coming back and uh, his spirit is here now and he can change you. He can uh, give you a hope and a future and a new life. So Ian, anyone, who wants now to receive Jesus, would you lead them in a prayer? Absolutely, it'd be my privilege. Yeah, if, you've, uh, if you're at that place and you wanna pray this prayer, it's a prayer of just saying, God, will you come into my heart? Will you forgive me and, uh, and, and join me? So yeah, pl please close your eyes, pray this prayer. And if that is you, say amen at the end. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you sent your son Jesus who died upon the cross. Forgive us of the things that we've done wrong, forgive us of the things that we've done that we thought were normal human behavior, but before your holy, holy presence, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, come into my heart, that I may be born again, a new creation, one with you in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Amen. And if you did pray that prayer, uh, we just want to say another prayer for you. We pray that you will know that you have been forgiven, that you have been cleansed and set free from the past. And we pray that you will experience the peace of God the Father, the presence of God the Son and the power of God the Holy Spirit. We pray for your protection and we pray that you will know God, the Lord, the Good Shepherd guiding you. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you did pray that prayer for the first time or prayed it as a way of reaffirming your faith, uh, like Ian, take hold of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and uh, start soaking in the words of Jesus and uh, find a good local church where you can be part of a Christian community. Well, that's what you did, Ian. Obviously, you encountered Jesus Um, Did you give up being a bouncer? I did, um, by a lot of prayer and God opening up doors for me. Um, I got away from all the dark stuff and uh, yeah, um, and now I've been an evangelist for like 20 plus years. Well, and then eventually you started Tough Talk. That's right. Tell us how you started that and why you started it. Well, I just like sharing my faith, particularly with Dorman, guys I was working with initially. And then um, I got asked to give my testimony at different places. And I was, uh, uh, I started going to a church in Ilford in, uh, in East London. Um, and the pastor there said, why don't you bring the weights in and do a talk with your weights? And uh, so I did that and we got asked to do another church and we started to go into prisons. And we were thinking of a name, you know, what kind of name should we give it? And um, I turned up at one church one night and they called the event Tough Talk, come in here at Tough Talk. And uh, I thought that's a really good name. So. Uh, we started to travel and, and minister under the banner of Tough Talk and uh, we turned it into a registered charity back in uh, early 2000s, I think it was 99, 2000. So we've been a charity over 20 years now and we have the privilege of going into schools, prisons, churches. I've preached on the beaches, we've preached on ski slopes, we've been everywhere using the weights as a bit of a backdrop quite often, but mostly about testimony and gospel messages. So when you tell us uh, some encouraging stories of going into prisons. Well, we've been in prisons all over the world, really. I mean, we do a lot of prisons in the UK um, and, uh, you know, from Scotland all the way across here. But I've been in prisons from Russia, Moldova, from Philippines, all across USA, Canada, um, Russia. Anywhere you can think there's a prison, we've been invited to go. And uh, I've seen, um, I I remember being in South Africa and this one guy, um, said, you know, he, he wanted to become a Christian, you know, but um, he could, he, he, if he becomes a Christian, he, he, he might not survive the night. I said, why is that? It's a bit serious. He said, well, I run the gang and the numbers gang in this prison because it's all gangs out in South Africa, South Africa prison. And he said, if I become a Christian, my life will be over because I'll have to renounce the gang. So there's a cost to follow Jesus. And this guy realized that if he was to turn to Christ, that cost could cost him his life, you know. And that's how serious it is for some fellas. And uh, I didn't know how to answer that. And I was with a colleague of mine, Arthur White, and Arthur said, do you mind if I answer that? I said, yeah, please do. He said, yeah. he said, young man, he said, he said, I shouldn't be on this mission. He said, I've had six or seven heart operations. 
He said, but if my, if, if my heart stopped beating, he said, you know what? He said, I, 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 he said, if I live, I'm going to be with Christ. If I die, I'm going to be with Christ. We're all going to die one day, he said to him. He said, but we can, um, we can get right with Christ. We can have eternal life with Christ. And these hardened inmates on the back of that challenge bowed their heads. We prayed with them. They were weeping as they were coming into the kingdom of God. So, yeah, m- moments like that. You've seen moments like you can never forget, can you? No, oh, you can't. No, well, you know, we're talking about the redemption of Jesus, irrespective of who we are mm. and where we've been, and um, whether we're locked up, yeah, um, or not. We we need to experience freedom. And you tell more about uh, your story uh, in your book, Tough Talk. Uh, tell us about this, Ian. Yeah, so that's got um, my life story in and uh, an associate of mine, Arthur White, who I just mentioned earlier. Um, It's our life story. So Arthur's got a very similar story to me. He was a powerlifter, bouncer, doorman, changed by the power of God, the same as me. And um, we uh, give those books into prisons. Um, We uh, send them into prisons up and down this country. Um, We usually put around 10,000 in most years um, through the the, the charity and uh, we, you know they, they, they've got the gospel message at the back so everything we do we like to share the gospel of Jesus Christ I mean the really uh, you know tough talk is a great title because you guys are, are pretty tough boys uh, but the talk about Jesus um, is serious it's serious I mean you hinted about that earlier on Ian you know we're, we're talking about having a destiny with Jesus Mm. And without Jesus, we have no hope. It's true. And that was the real, when I look back at why we call it Tough Talk, the gospel is a tough message. It, it, it does, as I said about that guy in the prison, there's a cost to following Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is a tough message. And uh, we like to package it in that way. I mean, we, we, we're a bit simple-minded, really. We're very easygoing. So yeah, Tough Talk is just, yeah, we just call it Tough Talk and throw everything out there as Tough Talk. But um, it is a tough message. And being a Christian is not an easy walk, is it? It's a, it's a narrow path. And um, uh, But by God's grace and his spirit, you can get you there. Absolutely. And what would you say, Ian, to anyone who, you know, who is a Christian, who maybe knows that they're failing in areas of their lives, but you feel this unease within you. What would you say to any of our viewers? Well, as I said, the, the, the Holy Spirit convicts, doesn't he? And he, he, wants to, uh, he wants to guide you and lead you into a better path. And, and to me, um, making Jesus Christ Lord, so having him as saviour is one thing, but making him Lord of your life. So it's like you've got him sitting next to you. Now you actually have to get him to drive the car for you. You know, he's not just a passenger in your car. He needs to be taken over and making, and you need to make him Lord of your decisions, your life, your your family. And once you start making him Lord and walking in his will, being in, in alignment with him, uh, it's amazing how much protection, how much blessing uh, there's an evilness out there in this world, isn't there? And um, the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy. But when you're in God's protective uh, camp and you're walking with him, um, you know, so those decisions, those convictions, you, 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 you need to hand them over to the cross, give them to him and let him give you the strength to leave, lead, lead this Christian life. Absolutely. It, it's total surrender, isn't it? it? Is. To Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It's the only way. If, we, if, you, if you've got one foot in one kingdom, as they say, and one in the other, it's a war zone. It's like two dogs fighting each other. You've got, if you're in, go all in. And when you're all in, there's a joy, there's a peace, 
that you know the scriptures tell us, don't they? You know, there's a there's a path that seems right to man, and uh, and that leads to death and destruction. Or you can walk the path of Christ, where there's peace and there's joy and there's pleasures of God in each side. So, listen, don't struggle in two kingdoms. Get full in. Make him make Jesus Lord of your life. Amen. Ian, you're a trophy of God's grace. Hey, thank it's you a joy to talk to you. Hey, it's been great. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed that. I, I found it truly inspiring. Um, great to see what Jesus can do in, in Ian's life. And if he did it in Ian's life, he can certainly do it in your life. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again next week. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.jjohn.com and follow him on social media.